We're discovering this amazing book of Hebrews, which I believe is a sermon, maybe a series of sermons that someone compiled notes from and put this amazing book together. It's written to encourage Jewish believers, Hebrew uh, Christians, if you could say that, Messianic believers across the Roman Empire who might not be fully persuaded that Jesus is the Son of God or who might be tempted to return to their Old Covenant roots. And here he begins this talk with this declaration that could actually begin every sermon with this from verse 1 of chapter 1. It says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. Can you say Jesus is greater? He's greater than the prophets. He goes on to say he's greater than the angels. He's greater than mankind, yet he made himself one of us to become a greater high priest. He offered a greater sacrifice. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Joshua. And he is greater than anything the world has to offer. Can I get an amen? So last week we covered chapter 3, and since chapter 4 begins with the word therefore, we have to back up to see what it's there for. Being a sermon, there's a flow to this thing. So let's back up to verse 12 of Hebrews 3. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today. So, today is Sunday, but it's also called today, right? It's not yesterday, it's not tomorrow, it's today. So since it's today, we are to exhort one another. So part of your experience as a Christian is fellowship, greeting one another like we did, but also exhorting one another, which is to call one another up to a higher level to encourage each other and even to share testimonies. Exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You know, sin is deceitful. It will lie to you. It will say, just one more time. It will say, this is the last time, and then I won't tempt you anymore. And it will lure us down a path of bondage, lure us into some sort of addiction, trap, Verse 14, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, and he quotes Psalm 95, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Now keep your hand right there and just look at the screen right quick. This is the text that he's quoting. It begins, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Many beautiful songs have been written. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For He is our God. And we are the people of his pasture 
and the sheep of his hand, and the sheep of his hand. But we never sang the rest of the psalm. Here's why. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in a rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they saw my work. For 40 years, I was grieved with that generation and said, it is a people who go astray in their hearts and they do not know my ways. So I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. This is referring back to their history of being miraculously delivered from slavery in Egypt. On their way to Israel, they became rebellious and unbelieving. And so the Lord removed his hand of blessing. Who knows there's a hand of blessing that God has for his people. There's a rest that we receive, a refreshing that we receive from the Lord's hand. And we certainly don't want to miss out on that. But unbelief, who knows, unbelief can rob you of many blessings. Their unbelief didn't prevent God from delivering them. Their unbelief didn't prevent God from parting the waters of the Red Sea and feeding them with manna and water from a rock. But their unbelief finally crossed the line after God gave them dozens of ways to believe in him, reasons to believe, to just say, okay, you say you're going to die in the wilderness, you're going to die, and your children, who you say will be destroyed, will actually be the ones that conquer this land. He's talking about the promise of rest, but using this story to impart the importance of our believing, standing in faith. This is why we exhort each other. While it's called today, we encourage each other. If you're down, find someone to encourage you. And if someone comes to you down, don't rebuke them. Don't shame them. Don't drive their unbelief underground where they become a hypocrite. Respect their honesty and hear them out and share how the Lord has encouraged you. If nothing else, say, you know what? The story's not over. Let's just trust God. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Verse 16. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses, with the exception of two guys, Joshua and Caleb? Now with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who did not obey... So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. It takes faith to obey. It takes faith to obey what the Lord commands us to do. It takes faith to believe. <laughs> if you don't believe, you're not obedient because we are commanded to believe. The psalmist also had this to say about that day in Psalm 106. It says, They forgot God their Savior who had done great things in Egypt, Wondrous works in the land of Ham. You can read about it in the first part of Exodus. Awesome things by the Red Sea. Therefore he said that he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen one, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he destroy them. He told Moses, I'm done with these people. I'm going to start over again with you. 
Here's another miraculous Abraham deal. Uh, Moses is pushing 120 years old. God's going to do it again, start over again. Moses said, if you do that, then people will say you destroyed the people you couldn't give the land of promise to. God knew that, but he has this interaction. He relates to us on a human level. He comes down to our level when we can't get up to his. Then they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe his word, but complained in their tents and did not heed the voice of the Lord. Now, they had been brought out of slavery to go to the land that had been promised their forefather Abraham through a covenant. And they sent in 12 spies. That was probably their first mistake. They probably should have sent a couple. Ten came back with an evil report. We felt like grasshoppers in the sight of people that are giants. We're not going to make it. And two had a good report. Well, being the democratic people that we are, Human nature is to follow the majority. Let's take a poll and follow what the majority of people say. Well, that's a sure way to destruction. And it led them to believe that they were going to die in the wilderness. They should have known there's no human alive that makes another human look like a grasshopper. I mean, that's such a crazy metaphor. They should have known somebody's exaggerating. Look at the grapes that Joshua and Caleb are carrying on their shoulders. Those grapes were big, like ping pong balls, I guess. I've seen some grapes from Israel. They're amazingly large. All right, let's go back to the text. I'm going to wind up preaching some other sermon. So we see, verse 19, so we see they could not enter in because of unbelief. Therefore, chapter 4, verse 1, since a promise remains of entering his rest. God swore they wouldn't enter his rest. And so here's this promise of someone entering it. So there's, he said that, he didn't just say they will not enter rest, he said they will not enter my rest. They should not enter my rest. We'll come back to that in a minute. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. If you're going to be afraid of something, be afraid of allowing unbelief to take over your life and robbing you of God's blessings. For indeed, verse 2, for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. The gospel was preached to them? How? Through the Passover. In the Passover, the blood of an innocent lamb was killed in your doorway and the blood taken and put on the side posts of the door and the lintel of the door. So you had blood in four places. In the door jam where the lamb was killed and on the side post and on the headboard, the, the lintel. And that night, the Lord had instructed them to do this an angel of death, God's judgment came through the land, and every household in the land of Egypt lost their firstborn son. It was quite a plague. COVID is nothing compared to that plague. But every house that had blood on the doorposts, the death angel passed over. Now there's a perspective on this as well, that through the blood... God could pass over their door jam 
to enter their house and bless them. Isn't that good? Well, Christ is the perfect lamb. And we've been enslaved to sin. And what brings us freedom from sin and its power and penalties is the death of the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God, John the Baptist said, who takes away the sin of the world. He wasn't on a doorway, but he was on a cross. And his hands were nailed, his feet were nailed, and his head was bloodied and crowned with thorns. Blood flowing in four places and beyond. (laughs) It was a mess. To provide freedom for you and I from sin and its penalties and God's judgment. So, if the blood of Christ is in your life because you believed he did that for you, it's that simple. God's judgment passes over you and his presence passes into you. He comes into your life. Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. That's what the Bible says. So the gospel was preached to them, but they didn't mix it with faith. Now, how does that happen? Obviously, they believed they were freed from Egypt, right? The Egyptians had rejected their pleas for freedom for centuries. Finally, this broke the hearts of the Egyptians. They said, we want you gone. Get out. And here, take some jewelry with you. Go, go, we want you gone. Our own country went through a horrible war to set slaves free. Now, some would say that's not true as for states' rights. Well, if you read the articles of secession of all the states, a bunch of them included Texas, you can read it and see slavery was a major part of the reason they wanted to succeed from the United States. Why did we have such a bloody war? Because it's hard for a nation to part ways with cheap labor, free labor. It's hard. It'll upend everything economically. That's the problem with idolatry. We worship mammon rather than God. And so America paid a price for it. Well, Egypt paid a price to set these slaves free. So now they're free. But if they had mixed faith with that experience, they would think, you know, God went through a lot of effort to get us free. He's not going to leave us out here to die. He's not going to allow giants who make us look like grasshoppers to crush us under our feet. If he has done incredible things from the night of Passover onward, then surely, like the song says, he didn't bring us this far to leave us. He didn't teach us to swim to let us drown. He didn't build his home in us to move away. He didn't pick us up to let us down. He didn't pick us up to let us down. That is mixing faith with the testimony of what God has done. So the gospel prophetically was experienced by them through the Passover feast. You see it? We celebrate this every time we partake of the Lord's table in communion. For indeed, verse 2, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said, and he goes back to Psalm 95, so I swore in my wrath, 
they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. If Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, why would he allow his people to not walk in victory through any circumstance? Things may not go the way we want temporarily, but in the eternal sense of things, we are more than conquerors. Can I get an amen? amen. Verse 4, For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. How does that relate to this? Well, think with me. In chapter 2 of Genesis, God completed creation, and it says on the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. Did he rest because he was tired? No, he rested because he was finished. You ever finished a project? Maybe creating a product. There's a sense of satisfaction. You sit down and look at it. Just a joy fills your heart. That's resting in a completed work. So God rested because he was finished. But notice, out of the six days of creation, there's time measured. The evening and the morning were the first day. The evening and the morning were the second day. The evening and the morning were the sixth day. You get the point? But the seventh day, it didn't say that. It's wide open. And he's referring to that fact as the rest of God that he invites us into. The resting in the finished works. We do not have to earn our salvation. We do not have to work or buy the right to have favor from God. He blesses obedience, but we rest on his finished work. We enter into his rest. Since therefore it remains, verse 6, since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, Israel in the wilderness. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, today, after such a long time as it has been said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. May the Lord soften our hearts when it comes to his word. I'm grieved by some of the preaching that's going on today. They're nothing more than like locker room pep talks. There's no scripture. There's no feeding on the word of God. I love TED Talks, but they're, they're, they're like uh, church TED Talks. They're, they, I just say, you know, I'm not throwing stones at any individual. I just say, Lord, help us to love your word and to believe it. It is enough. The inspiration of the scriptures is sufficient to meet the needs of his people in the 21st century. Amen? Who cares what the polls say? What does the Word of God say? Who cares what the man on the street thinks? People need to know what God thinks. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts, and my ways are higher than your ways. Isaiah. It also says, as the rain comes down from heaven 
and the snow covers the earth, so shall my word be. It shall not return void to me. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Verse 9. For if Joshua had given them rest, now he's the one who took over from Moses. Now some, of, some Bibles say, for if Jesus had given them rest, he's glorifying Jesus here. He's not putting Jesus down. So this is Joshua. Joshua is Jesus' name in Hebrew, translated into English, Yeshua. But Jesus' name in Greek, translated in English, is Jesus. Jesus becomes Jesus. So he's talking about the Jesus in the Old Testament, Joshua. He's a type of Jesus. So he took them into the land of rest, the land of Canaan. It says, if Joshua had given them rest, he would not afterward have spoken of another day. David's, long after the fact, even during David's lifetime, there was a period of rest. But he's speaking of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. Now that word there for rest, we'll see, is the word sabbatismos. It's only in the Bible once, and it's right here. He who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God. Look at the context of this verse. For the word of God is living, it's alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So God's word is powerful. Because it is powerful, we need to believe it. And it can cut through the unbelief if you let it. It can cut through temptation if you let it. When Jesus was tempted by Satan, he would respond with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. It is written. What is written in your case? Quote it against that thing that's trying to bring you down. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, it would come alive in every heart and mind and ear in this room today. Speak to us in such a way that we receive promises that maybe we've neglected. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to talk to you today on the good news of remaining rest. Good news of remaining rest. Or you could say the rest of the rest that rests in Christ. 
Here's some trivia. There are 23,145 verses in the Old Testament, 7,957 verses in the New Testament. This gives us a total of 31,102 verses in the Holy Bible. So there's an even number of verses. So there is no middle verse, but there is a middle two verses in the Bible, to be accurate. Psalm 103, verse 1 and 2 are the middle two verses. 15,551 and 552 are these verses that say, this is how the first half of your Bible ends. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Expression of faith. Here's how the second half of your Bible, if you were to cut it in half perfectly in terms of the number of verses. Okay? I'm not getting into some weird doctrine. But it says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Have you ever had a job that didn't give you your full benefits because you didn't know what was available? You didn't know you had to ask? Uh, maybe you wrecked a car and you went without a car for weeks till you were able to settle and get another car and you didn't know the policy had a benefit called rental car? Shake Anderson, we're talking about him a lot today. He was our worship pastor here for eight years. He was a traveling entertainer since he was like nine years old. Very gifted guy musically. He was in a band, a small band of young artists who had a poverty mentality. And they had the joy of being an opening act on tour for Bruce Hornsby and another tour for Bonnie Raitt and some other well-known artists. They only had an international scout. Who's ever ridden in one? So here's four men in this international scout, Shake being the giant that he is, six, five, I think, pulling a U-Haul trailer, driving across the country, pulling up to these auditoriums, these coliseums, these venues, and backing in between big tour buses that the big names were traveling in. And Sheikh said, there's something wrong. Let's read the contract. And he would show them in the contract where they had a tour bus available. And these young guys thought, black man, what does he know? He didn't know what he's talking about. Our manager told us, no, it would hurt our profits and we got to make the most money. They wouldn't even eat the food laid out for the bands in the green room. And they're staying in cheap hotels, suffering. And then the International Scout broke down on the tour, so they rented a big U-Haul truck to haul their gear in. Well, how do four men fit in a U-Haul? Well, they fixed uh, some chairs up towards the front of the truck and tied down the gear whenever they would load it up. And they had a bed up in Grandma's attic. Who's rented a U-Haul? The, the, over the cab thing's called Grand, Grandma's Attic. And they would drive all night long to go to the next place to perform, and one night Shake sleeping up in Grandma's attic, and they blew a tire, ran off the road, damaged the van, and Shake fell out, fell off out of Grandma's attic on top of some stuff. Needless to say, they called their manager and says, "What do we do? We're out here in the middle of nowhere." Their manager sent them a tour bus, and they traveled the rest of the tour in high cotton. We should have listened to you. Well. They ignored their benefits. This is our daughter and her husband. 
and their two kids, and Miss Yvette, and Chris Marie, their nanny from Sydafrica. They moved away week before last to Atlanta, actually to Marietta, Georgia. Paul got a job at a company called unclaimedbaggage.com. It's an online store. He's now president of the company, and they have a brick-and-mortar store in Alabama that he goes to a couple of days a week. A company built around baggies that people won't come and claim. The company was started by the owner's dad, who for $300 bought a lot of unclaimed baggage from Continental Trailways and had like a garage sale and made a lot of money, and a company was born. Well, I believe in our life there are unclaimed promises. Unclaimed promises that if we trust God, we could live life a whole lot happier. Maybe when you ask for the promise, you don't receive it right away, but hold on, give God time. He uses time for his purposes. I believe he answers prayer when we ask him somewhere on the timeline of our life. Like Christ was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world, but it was thousands of years before it happened. So God makes the promise, God says yes to the prayer, and then he backs up to the present. And so it's not that the answer is on the way to you, but you're on the way to the answer. Amen. All right, the good news of remaining rest. There remains a rest for the people of God. So let's talk about this benefit, the rest that rests in Christ. The remaining rest, the rest of the rest. We read this in the words of Jesus. Matthew 11, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Is that a promise? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Be submissive and team up with me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So when he said yes to the will of God in the Garden of Gethsemane, Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. He faced the cross from a position of rest. We'll come back to that. We read today at the beginning of chapter 4, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Now the Bible says hundreds of times to not fear, not be afraid, why are we telling you to fear here? Because it's serious business. If you're not afraid of unbelief, fear will take over your life. Who was a president that said, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. Verse 6, it remains that some must enter it and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. And they disobeyed because of unbelief. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. Here's an unclaimed promise waiting on God's people. That word rest is the word sabbatismos. It occurs once in the Bible. It means a sabbatism. Figuratively, it's the repose of Christianity as a type of heaven or rest. Now, some people will take Hebrews chapter 4 and try to preach that you have to go to church on Saturday. The Sabbath is still Saturday, the seventh day. It didn't get changed to the first day. But we are to find rest in Christ, right? Not in our works. 
And if you go to church on Saturday, you're really resting. Hello. There's a synagogue in Fort Worth that has Sunday school because they're not allowed to teach on the Sabbath. That would be work. So we're having Sunday school, right? So there's a rest that remains for the people of God. The Sabbath day, they had it for centuries, but they still didn't have rest. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, verse 11, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Be diligent, be careful, be persistent to enter into the rest. If you feel yourself getting frantic, getting rattled, time to find a place to pray and surrender to the Lord. That song, I surrender all, that song is a gateway to rest, I'm telling you. Give it all to him. Trust him. The word rest in Noah Webster's dictionary as a verb intransitive means to cease from action or motion of any kind. To stop. Uh, in music, a rest is a way to pause before you move on to the next note. A word applicable to any body or being and to any kind of motion. It means to cease from labor, work, or performance, to be quiet or still, to be undisturbed. He leads me beside the still waters. That's the Hebrew word for rest. To lie, that's to lay down. That's not to tell a big one. To repose, to sleep, to slumber, to die or be dead. To lean, to recline for support, to stand on, to be supported by. How do you fight from a position of rest? You just do. You know the battle is already won. And we fight with confidence. Right? Uh, who lives in a house? We all do, right? Houses are built to fight for us. They fight the cold, the wind, the rain, the snow, the critters. Here in Texas we have to have reinforcements to help our houses fight effectively. Yet every house that's successful at fighting for us rests on a foundation. Webster goes on to say it means to be satisfied, to acquiesce, that's to yield, to trust, to rely, to abide. Remember Jesus said, abide in me to remain with, to be calm or composed in mind, to enjoy peace of conscience, to place. When we're in a position of rest, we are banking on who we are in Christ. We're not like, I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm a new... No, we are a new creation. That's who we are. We're not a new creation because we repeated it a hundred times. If that helps, you know, don't let me discourage you. But we're a new creation in Christ because the Word says we are. As a noun, Webster defines the word rest means that which is left or remains after separation of a part, who's had the rest of the pie. In fact, or in contemplation, it means remainder. So in this case, in the English language anyway, the rest that remains is the rest of the rest. 
And in some of our lives, we got the whole pie. That's the rest. Never taking the first bite. I heard someone that had a dream of heaven and they saw a room filled with blessings. What are these? Oh, these are things you didn't ask for. There's six kinds of biblical rest. When you read the Bible, I see rest applied in six ways. There's creation rest. This is the rest of God. On the seventh day, he rested because he had finished his work. The commentary written by F.B. Meyer says, whereas we are expressly told of the evening and morning of each of the other days of creation, there is no reference to the dawn or close of God's rest day. And we are left to infer that it is impervious to time, independent of duration, unlimited and eternal, that the ages of human story are but hours in the rest day of Jehovah. But better than all, it would appear that we are invited to enter into it and to share it. Something to think about. There's commanded rest. The Ten Commandments, the fourth command was to make the seventh day holy and not do any work on it. And boy, they have come up with some regulations to try to obey that. If you go to Israel, don't get on the Sabbath elevator if it's a Sabbath day, because every button on that elevator stays pushed all day long. Because to push a button is considered work. And they'll hire a Gentile to come in and turn lights off, maybe to flush toilets too, I don't know. So I don't mean to mock, but they're working at resting. And I believe missing the point. There's Canaan rest. Canaan was the picture of rest, the land of milk and honey. It's going to be awesome. But how long did they experience rest in this land? Because of their unbelief. The book of Judges is an amazing book. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Their enemy would get the upper hand. God would raise up a Savior to help deliver them. Everyone from Gideon to Deborah to Samson, people who have their own problems to Jephthah, would bring deliverance. And then they would return back to their days of unbelief. So the land of Canaan didn't give them the rest that was promised. There's covenant rest that we're talking about today, the new covenant. This rest is available to us today through the finished work of Christ in cutting the new covenant, hanging between heaven and earth, between God and man, the man Christ Jesus as our mediator brought to us a better covenant than the first one. And then there's celestial rest. Oh, we love this. We look forward to our time in heaven. Who's looking forward to that? that what a day that will be when my Savior I shall see and I look upon his face, the one who saved us by his grace. Revelation 21 says, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. All sorrow. And we say, rest. Finally. But even there, there'll be work for us to do. We're not sitting around on clouds playing harps. Though it'd be nice to know how to play one. Number six, which is really number five. I just had to come back to it. It's just so easy. There's Christ's 
rest. The rest that he promises us. Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Today's text ends with this promise. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, keep in mind, he's talking about unbelief and obedience. We find it hard. We can run to him for help. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Lord, I feel weak. He knows what that's like. Lord, I've been betrayed. He knows what that's like. Lord, I've been abandoned. He knows what that's like. Lord, I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I'm depressed. He knows what that's like. I am so tempted beyond belief. He knows what that's like. And he's able to bring rest. He's able to point out a way of escape for you and I so that we no longer have to yield to it. Watch this. In this confusing and fast-paced world, things are moving so quickly, it's easy to get distracted. Technology is demanding our attention at every moment, and it's easy to forget where our priorities should lie. This can leave us feeling stressed, anxious, and restless. We need to set our priorities right to set our minds on things above. We need to spend time in the Word of God and to allow His Spirit to lead our paths. We must follow His will and direction rather than the world's, and we must be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Find rest in Him, for He is the giver of life. This neglected truth is one that needs to be embraced in the 21st century. Amen? As we worship Him in conclusion, go to Him boldly. The front is open. You can come and kneel. You can kneel at your seat. You can go to someone and receive prayer. But go boldly to the throne of grace without shame. Lord, I need help. And find that place of security and rest in Him for strength to go on. Amen. Let's worship the Lord.
security system. Use your locks. Be wise. But our trust ultimately is in Almighty God. And man, that stuff can be busted and overridden. You can put 13 locks on your door and they'll come through a window. (laughs) Have you not known, have you not heard, Isaiah 40, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, Neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fail. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. 
So when you're waiting, you're not doing nothing. You're resting. Amen? <laughs> the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. May you rest in the Lord. May you rest in His shalom peace, which includes a sense of wholeness. It includes rest. It's based on victory. Amen. Normally I say, go get him tigers, but just because I can, go get him bangles. <laughs> God bless you. Thank you for worshiping with us today. Right.